Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper, episode 139, Friend of a Friend, How Hidden Networks Can Transform Your Life. This episode is brought to you by Business Advancement Incorporated, enabling successful leaders and companies to accelerate to their next level of success. On the web at businessadvance.com. And now, here's Pam and Scott. Thanks, Chris. I'm Pam Harper, founding partner and CEO of Business Advancement Incorporated. And right across from me, as always, is my business partner and husband, Scott Harper. Hi, Scott. Hi there, Pam. It's always a great pleasure to join you for another episode of Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. And if you're listening for the first time, welcome. Our purpose is to spark new insights, inspiration, and immediately useful ideas for visionary leaders to accelerate themselves and their companies to their next level of game-changing innovation, growth, and success. So Pam, today we're going to be talking about something that most people don't really think much about. That's the hidden networks that if we dig into them, can really transform our lives. That's right. As we've discussed in previous episodes, any visionary leader who is a game changer needs to be paying attention to developing networks of friends and acquaintances. Because at their best, these relationships breathe new life into what's possible in the world. But there's still so much to know about how to develop our networks and how to make the most of them. Absolutely. And that's why we're happy to welcome back Dr. David Burkus. He's an educator, speaker, and author of three books, The Myths of Creativity, Under New Management, and his newest, friend of a friend, understanding the hidden networks that can transform your life. This is a brand new book just released. David writes regularly for Harvard Business Review, Forbes, Psychology Today, and 99U. He's also written articles for Fast Company, Bloomberg Business Week, and an assortment of other publications. In addition, he is the founder and host of Radio Free Leader, a podcast that shares insights on leadership, innovation, and strategy. David's innovative views on leadership have earned him invitations to speak to leaders from a variety of organizations. He's delivered keynote speeches and workshops for Fortune 500 companies such as Microsoft, Google, and Stryker, and governmental and military leaders at the U.S. Naval Academy and Naval Postgraduate School. His TED Talk has been viewed over 1.8 million times. When he's not speaking or waiting in airport lounges, he's also Associate Professor of Management at Oral Roberts University. He teaches in areas of organizational behavior, creativity and innovation, and strategic leadership. And you can see David's complete bio by going to growthignitersradio.com, episode 139. David, welcome back to Growth Igniters Radio, and congratulations on your newest book. Oh, thank you so much. Thank, thank you for having me back. I guess that means we did okay the first time around, right? Because we, we, we did. Back, we so. did. Yeah. yeah, you have to keep coming back. There's always so much new to learn <laughs> from you. So tell us a bit about what prompted you to write Friend of a Friend. 
So I, I mean, uh, one of the weird things is that I love networks. Now, notice I didn't say networking, right? Networks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So right. in in most of my previous books, I stumbled into the work of, you know, Duncan Watts or Brian Uzi or a lot of these researchers that are studying human network science, right? Right. And there six are certain phenomena. Six degrees and so on. Six degrees and so on, exactly. And there are certain phenomena that all networks have in common, actually, whether they're humans or computers, et cetera. And the weird thing to me was the opportunity I saw is that th- there's all of this research, there's all of this fascinating stuff. And yet when you look at a networking book, it's a collection of advice, advice from mm-hmm. one guy or girl on what worked for them, right? And and then you should too. And then like, we wonder why everybody goes to those events, tries to put in the advice and then feels <laughs> inauthentic. So yeah. the big idea was to go, okay, well, maybe what people need isn't more advice. Maybe what they need is here's how networks work. So you can uh-huh. see how you operate in one and then act accordingly. Okay. So what are some of the common wisdoms about human networks and why is this old and misguided advice? Why doesn't it actually work? Yeah. So, I mean, f- fundamentally there's that inauthentic piece, but there, I mean, there's a bunch of different collections of advice. I don't want to, I don't want to name names and say whose little thing is, is wrong, et cetera, but mm-hmm. it really stems from this. The, the common misconception, the most common misconception is that networking, a network is something you have. And that when you're networking, you're meeting total strangers and then you're figuring out like what you need to do to add them to your connections on LinkedIn or your address book in your phone, et cetera. Transactional is what you're saying. It's it's, not. It's very transactional. It's very much about running up the score, right? And it's not really about that. It's about understanding that you don't have a network. You exist inside of a network. And what you need to do is get a good solid map on that. Who are your friends? Who are your friends of friends? Who are the opportunities? Where the opportunities you need and who can introduce you to those things. All of that comes from mapping your network, not just trying to grow it or add to it the way most people think about when they think about networking. Huh. So tell us a little bit about how understanding how our networks really work would help us to transform our lives then. Yeah. So the the biggest thing is if, if we think about, again, if we're using that mentality of a network is a collection of people that I know because their address, you know, their email address is in my phone or their phone number is in my phone then what we're not looking at is the broader sort of three-dimensional image. Who do I know and who are they mm-hmm. connected to? Where mm-hmm. where do I sit in this network? Who's too clustered to me? Who's far away, what we call sort of weak ties? And we can get more into that a, l- a little bit later. Yes. Um, but also, who is one degree of separation out? We don't need to go all the way to six, but there is so much opportunity, just one sort of introduction out. And we don't kind of regularly feel out our, our network to see what's at the fringes. We just look at the person in front of us and do a very transactional, is this person helpful to me or not? Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm going to decide how much time to spend with them based on that. Now, David, one of the things that you're sparking in me, uh, you're talking about networks, and that makes me uh, put my geek on and think about neural nets. And whether it's a brain or it's a computer, you have to create the connections from one neuron to the other. And the more you have and the more interlocking they are, and the more multiple connections you have, the stronger it is. Is that kind of an analogy of what you're talking about? Yeah. So, I mean, in the, in the computer network world, we, we often refer to that Metcalf's law, right? The idea right. that a network itself gets stronger and more resilient, the more uh, it's interconnected. And, and that's exactly right. In fact, one of the easiest ways, once you understand that it's not about your list of contacts in, in your you know, LinkedIn, that it's about serving the network that you're already in, one of the most useful and valuable things you can provide is actually making sure those connections happen, getting skilled in the art of introducing people who would benefit from knowing each other because you're building those 
internal connections, making the whole network more resilient. And then also, I mean, side note, you're getting known as a person who's generous with their connections, which makes it more likely that when you do need the introduction to someone new, it's going to be there for you. And refreshing it makes it stronger as well. Exactly, exactly. Okay, well, that's a good place for us to start and to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk more with Dr. David Berkus, author of Friend of a Friend, about finding and developing the hidden networks that can change the game in our lives and our business. Stay with us. This is Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. Brought to you by Business Advancement Incorporated. We're on the web at businessadvance.com. And we enable successful leaders and their companies to accelerate to their next level of game-changing innovation, growth, and success. We'd like to welcome all of our listeners, and especially our many new listeners. If you're not already subscribed to our Growth Igniters community, you can get even more value by signing up. You'll receive reminders of our new bi-weekly podcasts, along with a link to a page filled with all kinds of resources. And on off weeks, you'll receive a Growth Igniters post, about a two-minute read. So as fast as you can, go to growthignitersradio.com and click the red Sign Up Now button at the top right of the page. Welcome back to Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper, that's me, and Scott Harper. Today, Scott and I are speaking with David Berkus, author of Friend of a Friend, about how hidden networks can transform your life. David, how can people find out more about you and your books, and especially Friend of a Friend? Yeah, so uh, the, the best place is probably straight at davidberkus.com, which is my site. I mean, obviously, if you type it into Amazon or any place like that, you'll find out about the book. But we've got a lot of free resources at that site. So you can check out some of the ideas first. Uh, try before you buy to use sort of a, I don't know, a used car salesman <laughs> terminology for it. Okay, so that's a, a good way to go. And you can also, of course, access more by visiting growthignitersradio.com, episode 139, and scrolling down to resources. Okay, so we've been talking about the concept of networks, and uh, let's talk about the types of network connections that are most likely to provide someone with new information and opportunities. Yeah. So, in you know, in the book, when we use this term hidden network, we're, we're referring to kind of those people that are in your network that you don't see because they're not immediately available on your on, you know, in your email box or things like that. They are your mm -hmm. weak ties or your dormant ties. And Scott, you already kind of hinted at this with this idea of refreshing, right? Yeah. One of the, the a series of studies show that one of the most effective things that you can do is make it a habit to regularly be refreshing these weak and dormant ties. Now, weak ties and dormant ties are two different things. Your weak ties are the people that you know, but you don't know that well, and you want to yeah. be able to look for reasons to get um, more connected with them, to learn more about them. Your dormant okay. ties are people you used to know, but that you, um, you, you, for some reason or another, sort of let the relationship fall by the wayside. And because they are not close to you, by definition, if they're not close to you, they're somewhere else in the network further away from you. And the people that they're close to, the odds are that they think differently, they act differently, they have access to new information. And so they become a bridge to new sources of information that you need. And, you know, most of us know this. I'm not the first person to talk about weak ties. What we, mm -hmm. what we do, though, is we often save that advice for, like, when we're looking for a new job. The truth uh, is we yes. need to make it a habit to always be connecting with these people so that when there is a need, it's just one more in a series of conversations where we check in with our weak and dormant ties. 
Now, you talk about it in one sentence, like weak endorment ties. The weak ties would be, for example, just somebody I just met. Is that right? Yeah, or or maybe even somebody you've known for a while. Like I have a lot of weak ties of the, the people that I see at the gym, right? And I know uh-huh. their name. I might know what they do for work, but I don't really know much more about them because we only see each other in that context. So it doesn't necessarily have to be just met. It can also be that we know each other, but we really haven't mm-hmm. taken the time to grow the relationship any further than that. Okay, so it's limited or transactional. Okay. Yeah, so- yeah, it's surface level, yeah. Okay, so the the dormant ties, of course, are the ones that know us well. Yeah, Perhaps. so these are people like former colleagues, like you You worked together on a project team for a number of years and then they took a job somewhere else or they got promoted and now you don't interact with each other, et cetera. They're somewhere else in the network, either because of a physical move or sort of a vocational one. But you do have a, a depth of relationship. You just need to check in. And these actually, I think, are the most potent because mm-hmm. not only do they are they somewhere else in the network with access to new information, like a weak tie, it doesn't take a lot to build rapport with them because you already had rapport with them. It already existed. So checking in and refreshing that connection is a smoother and easier and, and really less awkward process. Yeah, but I imagine that there's an art to that because I know that every now and then someone way from my past will kind of pop up in my inbox and say, hi, yeah, I knew you from this company. Uh, could you do me a favor? And I go, what? <laughs> you know, yeah, you? no, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah and, no, that's yeah. that. That's that waiting to the end, like waiting till you actually need it to do it. So one of the things yeah. that I actually like to do in that in the art, not the science, is this yeah. is actually how I've I've started using social media. I mean, everyone's newsfeed is deluged with information. Right. And what's interesting, if you think about it, if you have thousands of people you're connected to on LinkedIn, those are all those are all weak ties, and they're weak ties yeah. who are broadcasting mm. information about what's going on in their life. I like mm-hmm. to, here's the key. I don't click like or comment. I like to use that as a bridging off point to something else, right? So literally just today this happened. Somebody announced that they were switching which university they worked for. They uh-huh. were moving to to Cambridge in the UK. And so I sent them a congratulatory email. Didn't click like or, or comment because they're not going to see that anyway. It's a deluge of those things. But sent them an email and said, hey, you know, it's so great that you're moving here. Um, I, I know you're not moving until August, but I know so-and-so in this university. Would you like to get introductions so you know a few more uh-huh. people when you get there. So I'm using what they're announcing as the excuse to reach out to them and then offering mm-hmm. them something. And then the the last thing I do on almost every one of these emails is I'll include the, the phrase, what's new with you? What else is new with you? Uh-huh. So that I'm opening us up to a conversation for more chances to catch up. Not just that, like you said, Scott, we've all gotten those like, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. Can you do me a favor? Uh-huh. Th- yeah. That doesn't go over well. But if that right. is one in a series of conversations where you're checking in every couple of months, then it's a totally different reception. Okay, so you're giving a gift and you are actually creating and stroking the relationship and it's not just a transactional thing. So exactly. here's another here's another question. We all of us or many of us are kind of tunneled in a profession or an industry or a niche. Uh is it better to try to go deeper into where where we're at, where we're comfortable, or is it better to try to be a connector between different groups? Yeah. So, you know, in a weird way, the answer is kind of yes. Uh, by far, okay. the, the best value is created when you are a bridge through a, what we call in network science, a structural hole. When there are two groups right. and they're not connected and you become that connector, you're creating a tremendous amount of value for both of those groups. 
and for uh, yourself, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. But that said, if, it's hard to be a structural hold if you are already on the fringes of that group. So there is a certain level of trying to connect with people in that industry that needs to happen. After a certain point, new connections become redundant, and that's when it's time to go, okay, I'm familiar enough in this environment. Maybe I need to learn uh, about a new one, a new industry, a new profession, and be the connector between those two things. So it really it depends on where you are in your career. Structural right. holes and brokers of those are, are by far the most valuable, but you can't be on the fringe and really connect two groups. You have to be at least some level deep into that, that little cluster. Okay, so you want to develop sort of parallel networks and then connect them together, and that gives an extra boost of energy. Exactly. In, in the book, we kind of talk about it as the, the people that are the most successful, the ones that vacillate back and forth between being deep in a group or a team and then bridging out and spending some time connecting that team to another team and then going back. It's not a, it's not a, um, an either or always. It's a, mm-hmm. you kind of need all of them at different times. Good. So you said, depending on what point you are in your career, what did you mean by that? Yeah. So, I mean, let's say, you know, if you're, if you're 20s or early 30s, there's still a lot of people in your industry that you need to get to know. Right. And then uh-huh. when you are decently connected and this could happen early or it could take forever because you haven't been focused on connecting with people in that profession. But there's a certain point where every new connection is redundant. You meet someone and you find out that you had 17 different people in common. Right. And it's kind of weird that you hadn't met yet, but it's also because there's there was nothing to be gained from meeting each other. That's uh-huh. around when it's time. And it's usually, you know, let's say eight to 15 years into a career. That's around the time where you can really provide the most value by being a structural whole because you have a, a depthness of connections to that industry cluster, you have enough um, clout to bring those people and connect them with a second cluster. But if you're just, you know, if you're 22 years old and you just mm-hmm. entered an industry and you're already going to go try and be a structural whole, it's not going to work that well because very few people even know who you are. Sure. You have to develop yourself first. Well, speaking of developing ourselves, now in the book, do you discuss how organizations that push an up or out development path of climbing the career ladder might be unknowingly causing harm to themselves? Why would that be? Yeah. So, and this is actually a great example of sort of pushing too far into a cluster. If you're, if you're in one of those very command and control, very up or out, climb the corporate ladder type mm-hmm. organizational structures, then usually you're going to mostly spend effort getting to know just the people that are above you, trying to get and build rapport with people who have the ability to promote you or have power or authority mm-hmm. with you, right? Mm-hmm. It turns out that in one study, I love the term for this study, they, they coined this term organizational misfits. These are people who bounced around to different roles inside the organization early on in their career before they found a a kind of a path up, they tend to be the ones who get promoted faster, who make more money, who provide more valuable ideas because they are that bridge between structural holes. So they they were bouncing around and looked almost like they they didn't have a path and they were a worthless employee because they didn't have a steady um, series of progressions and promotions. But in mm-hmm. truth, the relationships that they developed over time allowed them to connect multiple different departments and get information flowing much faster. They end up being a more valuable uh, person inside the organization. And, and you know, most organizations know this is true because you, you go up the corporate ladder and then you get to a certain point and they go, okay, well, now you need to rotate as part of your development. Uh-huh. Well, wouldn't it be better if you're rotating through the whole career path, not just once you get to a certain level at the top? Makes okay. sense. So now let's dig a little deeper on that from a leader's perspective. I'm at the top or near the top of the organization. What can I do to promote this kind of enrichment of the networks within the organization? Because it's something we personally believe in a lot. What's your perspective? 
Yeah. So one of the first things is just recognizing you might have a mental model that blocks these sort of misfits from seeming like they're productive. But the mm -hmm. biggest thing is you want to encourage a culture where this is happening anyway. And some of the mm -hmm. ones that I'm most fascinated with, like to give you an example, IDEO, the industrial design firm, Yeah, they actually have a, a thing where employees spend a certain percentage of their time helping other projects, not projects they're assigned to, but projects that their expertise might be a benefit or even just that they're interested in. And because they're interacting with a different project team than the one that they're usually with, they end up building connections further. And actually, it goes a little bit further at IDEO where project teams are built based on the project. So it's not always the same team all the time. But that's mm -hmm. what I encourage people. Like, you know, a lot of people talk about Google and 20% time or 3M and 15% time. Right. Maybe it's 5% mm -hmm. time. And it's not about work on your own project. It's donate 5% mm -hmm. of your time to a different team in the organization so that maybe you provide them some value, but you definitely provide a connection to that team and those people that will pay dividends in the long term. So one of the things that many companies do is they'll have cross-functional teams. But you're talking about something that's even beyond that. Yeah, the cross-functional teams is a, is a good way to start. Um, it can it can sometimes turn into that just feel, I feel like I have seven bosses, right? So there's some certain uh, yeah. problems that come with it, but it's certainly better than the silos, politics, and turf wars that befalls most organizations. Yeah, you're talking about something that's near and dear to our hearts, which is increasing the variety of connections, the variety of inputs, the variety of perspectives. And we find that really enriches conscious decision making as well as unconscious decision making. And one of the things in your book that you talked about that really has us interested is this concept of multiplexity. Right. How does that boost innovation and uh, knowledge saving? Yeah, so multiplexity refers to the number of contexts that you have for a connection to someone, right? So a, a uniplex tie, by contrast, is I know this person, I met them once at a, at a work function, we only have work in common, right? Multiplex tie would be, okay, we work together, but our kids also go to the same school and we're friends because we both love superhero movies. And mm -hmm. you have these sort of multiple different reasons that connections happen. And okay. one of the biggest reasons is that if you've ever, if you've been inside an organization for about seven minutes, you begin to realize that the network of the organization does not look like the network of the organizational chart. Yep. And the primary oh, reason... Right. The primary reason for that informal uh, network that happens is because people are building multiplex ties. They're finding other reasons to connect. And, and in fact, this is where I actually think a lot of like the learning and development arms of organizations can really benefit by creating um, activities that are beyond just the work skills training that are right. reasons mm -hmm. for people to um, interact and build those sort of multiplex ties. Because we, you know, the informal network is usually the one that moves information faster and more Absolutely. accurately than the formal network. And it's because of these sort of multiplex ties. So you don't want to squash them down. You actually want to encourage them far more often because that'll share more information, more information, more ideas leads to new combinations of ideas. We call new combinations of ideas innovation. Mm -hmm. uh, that's trust is at the core of that. Yes, totally. And trust builds faster when people have multiplex ties. It takes years of a, a uniplex tie working together to build the kind of trust that a multiplex tie can do in weeks. Well, you're, you have multiple touches as well, and that makes a big difference. So we're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, Scott and I will talk with David Burkus, author of Friend of a Friend, about actionable steps you can take to find and develop your own hidden networks. Stay with us. You are listening to Growth Igniter's radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper, brought to you by Business Advancement Incorporated. 
we focus on enabling visionary leaders to dramatically increase momentum for game-changing success. And we're on the web at businessadvance.com. Now, one of the big advantages to building strong and varied networks is that some of your relationships can develop and actually turn into business relationships that include various types of alliances and other partnering arrangements. If you're thinking along these lines, we invite you to download our free special report on building powerful strategic alliances. We developed our findings and conclusions from a study which gathered responses from senior executives in over 15 industry sectors. While strategic partnering is becoming more important than ever before, over half of the senior executives we surveyed were strangely dissatisfied with the outcomes. Hmm. Find out why and what you can do to increase your return on your partnering investment. So learn more now by going to growthignitersradio.com, select episode 139, scroll down to the resources section and click the link on Download Strategic Alliances Report, and feel free to contact us if you have any questions. To Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. Over the last two segments, Scott and I have been talking with David Burkus, author of Friend of a Friend, about finding and developing hidden networks that can lead to game-changing results. David, remind us again how people can find out more about you and your books, and especially Friend of a Friend. Well, I'll tell you what, the, the best place is probably the show notes for this on, on your site. The second best place is davidberkus.com, where you can check out a lot of insights from the book, takeaways, worksheets, all that kind of stuff, as well as links to the book where you can purchase it and ways to get in touch with me to keep the conversation going. And Dave's website, incidentally, is excellent. Do be sure to check that out. So this is the section of our podcast where we talk about the immediately useful ideas. Now, we've been talking about useful ideas, but these are the ones that people could just do as soon as they're finished listening. And I want to get right to it. What would be a, an immediately useful idea for nurturing a hidden network? So the biggest thing is figuring out, you know, where, where is that hidden network? How large is it, et cetera? Who are my weak ties and developing a strategy like we already talked about for reaching back out to them? You also want to be exploring the fringes who's one degree of separation away from you. And so I encourage people to get in the habit of asking your close contacts, who do you know in blank? with blank being the company, the industry, the sector that you're looking to kind of explore. Now, you're not asking for an introduction. You're just looking to sort of map it and see who knows what, right? So, you know, you're, you're not throwing it out and you're not waiting till I need a new job or I need to make this huge decision. And I need to talk to someone from this industry. You're kind of constantly asking that question so you can get a read on who are those people that you don't see because you're not connected yet, but they're there in the network one introduction away from you. So it would uh, basically tell you how large and useful your network really is. Exactly, exactly. Not only how large in terms of the context that you're not thinking about because they're weak and dormant ties, but how vast and diverse it is because of who you're just one introduction away from. Now, what about uh, if you really do want to meet or connect with something, somebody specific who you can't figure out how you're connected? How do you do that? So I, a, a lot of times the best way, if you, if you want to meet someone specific, I, I'll give you two words of warning. Number one, it's really rare that that one person is actually the exact person that you need that'll ignite something in your career or, or whatever it is. Okay. Number two is the best strategy is to keep asking that question. Who do you know in blank ah. enough times to where that person that you're targeting, 
that person comes up on multiple people's mental lists, right? And you want that for two reasons. One is um, that way you can take the best introduction, have the, the best person who'd be the right connection to that person actually mm-hmm. make it. Sometimes you get an introduction from somebody and you're sort of like, I don't know if I want you to recommend me, right? Because you're really, <laughs> that right. relationship might be. That's, yeah. true. But yeah. the, That's the, true. The other thing that happens is you can kind of create sort of a surround sound effect. One of the most mm-hmm. interesting things I found in my career is that Often when I need to meet a certain person, it's at the, when the timing is right, two or three people both put my name in their uh, ear. And then when we finally do the introduction, they're sort of like, yeah, everybody's talking about you. Well, it's not everybody. It's actually two or three people sort of deliberately chosen, right? So you can only do that if you're asking that question for lots of people. And if, you, if you're asking that question and that target person that you want to meet's name is not coming up on anyone's list, yeah. it's a pretty good indication that that introduction isn't right anyway. It's not the right time for that and it wouldn't help you the way you think it would. And I've, I've had this situation in my own life where wanting to meet a a certain person and then we even did and traded a couple emails or had a phone call and then nothing came of it because it really wasn't oh. the right time and then two oh. or three years later we circle back and and actually do make a valuable connection okay so when spring comes the seeds will sprout all right so what's what's a good way to invest our time and energy to create this diverse network new connections yeah, so this this is probably the most exciting news in the entire book, which is uh, if you are already feeling awkward at these sort of networking mixers, these cocktail yeah. parties where you're supposed to meet, you have my permission to never go to one ever again. The, the research actually supports <laughs> yeah, the, the research supports that they're not as effective as we think they are. Um, what happens is we spend a disproport all of us, not just you know, not just certain people, not just introverts or extroverts or that sort of thing. All of us spend way too much time talking to people we already know. And spend way too much time talking to people who are self-similar to us. They look yeah. like us, act like us, have the same job sure. as us, etc. It's a, a sort of a bias in human psychology. Yep. And it happens because when the only purpose is to meet new people, we end up meeting people that make us feel good in the moment with that conversation. Instead, what we want to be doing is spending that same amount of time. So you, you can't just skip those mixers and stay at home and watch Netflix and sit in your pajamas and eat ice cream. Mm-hmm. You still have to be going out uh-huh. and, and meeting new people. But you meet them much more effectively when you engage in what a lot of sociologists will call shared activities. These are things where we're drawing a diverse set of people, but the purpose is something bigger. It can be volunteering for a nonprofit board. It can be a pickup sports league. One of my friends, John Levy, does these dinner parties where people actually come and cook together too. And just the mere act of like, the stakes are higher. We have to figure out how to get along so that we can make this dinner not be terrible is enough to build a deeper connection faster than if we were just sitting around with a pre-prepared dinner trying to find a useful conversation. Yeah, well, in fact, uh, in our last podcast, we spoke to Ben Gomez-Casares at Brandeis, and he mentioned that uh, two professors just got a Nobel Prize, and completely different departments, they met, met each other playing basketball. Yeah, it happens all of the time. Uh, ben and Jerry from Ben and Jerry's, they met because they were the two um, slowest and fattest kids in gym class in high school <laughs> and decided, you know, we want to work together. And eventually they settled on ice cream, but they tried a bunch of things uh, before that. It wasn't that they met at some sort of networking for ice cream professionals group and decided to go into business together. You, right. It's amazing. When you when you open your mind to the possibility that there are multiple different reasons for connecting someone, that's the multiplexity. And often the useful or valuable context for connecting is not the first one amazing things happen. Mm, That's good to know. Now, you actually have something in your book about some kind of an online practice. 
Yeah. So in each chapter in the book, we try and get prescriptive and go, okay, here's how you can put this into practice. And because a lot of people think networking happens online, um, they, we go into, okay, here's how to practice it online. Tr- truthfully, mo- most networking efforts online don't work unless you're actually mapping your, um, your offline connections. But there is one instance where it works pretty well. And that's that a lot of social media tools now, whether it be LinkedIn, Facebook, et cetera, will have groups that form around um, a shared activity, around a very specific sort of here's the mission, here's what we're trying to do right. group, right? Um, and sometimes they're collections of people with, with like mind who do similar things, and that's great. But often they're also kind of here is the purpose and the mission. And those are the ones that you want to seek out. You don't just want to go to the networking group that has 10,000 people in it. You want to go mm-hmm. to the one where it's actually dedicated to here's people in my profession and here's specifically the mission we're trying to accomplish. And you're going to have deeper, better conversations in those groups. And hopefully they turn into offline connections to people as well. So purpose is very important for a lot of things, especially if you're looking at connections for game-changing growth. Well, David, we've gone through this uh, episode already. I can't believe it. Do you have any final thoughts on a friend of a friend you'd like to leave us with? Yeah. So I I guess the biggest thing would be kind of a a restatement of the thesis that most of us think that you grow your network and that's not true. You exist inside of a network and the way that you can get the most value from that is by giving value to that network first and, and understanding that you exist inside of it and navigating it accordingly. It's not about running up the numbers on your contacts on LinkedIn. It's about figuring out where am I in the network and how can I serve it? Well, thanks so much for being our guest once again. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, David. And thanks to you out there for listening to Growth Igniter's Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. To get show notes and resource links for this week's episode, read David's bio in the episode transcript, or download our special alliance report, go to growthignitersradio.com and select episode 139. Until next time, this is Pam Harper and Scott Harper wishing you continued success and leaving you with this question to reflect on. How can I develop relationships with friends of my friends that could lead to game-changing opportunities for all of us? Growth Igniters and Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper are registered service marks of Business Advancement Incorporated. All Growth Igniters Radio episodes are copyrighted productions of Business Advancement Incorporated intended for the private use of our audience. Except as otherwise provided by copyright law, all other uses including copying, editing, redistribution, and publication without prior written consent of Business Advancement Incorporated are prohibited. All rights reserved.